The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. The Bible gives us the time frame. It says this is the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles uh, followed uh, the Feast of the Trumpets. The Feast of the Trumpets was a solemn occasion. It was a time where uh, the Day of the Atonement fell, where there was atonement for the sins uh, of Israel, and so it was a solemn event. What happened after the sins were atoned was a celebration. It was a festival, and that was the Feast of the Tabernacles. If you have any um, any connection or have driven through Lakewood at all and ever seen boxes on the back of their houses, uh, this represents the Feast of the Tabernacles. So this Feast of the Tabernacles, you've ever wondered why those boxes are on the back of their house? What they did is uh, they would uh, make these booths out of branches and they would live in the booths to remind them of God's providential care of them in the wilderness. And so this was a reminder of when they wandered They didn't have a permanent home. They had a temporary home that was built, branches and whatever they could set up as as some kind of a lean-to or whatever uh, that they could abide in while they moved in the wilderness. And so that's what that represents. It's a memorial to uh, their wanderings in the wilderness and God's care for them. In the temple during the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, uh, you'll see uh, big uh, pillar candlesticks, and they light them with fire. It's supposed to remind them of the presence of God in the wilderness by the pillar of fire, uh, that he was there with them, that he saw them through uh, in the wilderness. And so that's the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's a festival. It's a joyous occasion. It's a, it's a party uh, uh, for them. And, and every day during the feast, the priests would uh, carry water from the pool of Siloam, and they would carry them in golden vessels. They would pour it out, and it reminded them how water came from the rock and how the water was uh, coming out in the wilderness, how the Lord allowed water to come from the rock. Obviously, symbolism in the Old Testament, we understand Jesus is the rock, and the life comes out of the rock. Life comes from Jesus, and that was the picture there uh, that he was trying to give them. And so the feast was a jubilant occasion for many people, but it was a different, uh, and it was a difficult time for Jesus because it was the beginning of a public and open and military opposition to Jesus himself and to his ministry. And so this was a very difficult time for Christ as as it was a great time for other people. And Jesus, since he had healed the man, the paralytic man on the Sabbath day, uh, the Jews were out to get him and they sought to kill him. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted, uh, because of what he had done, he had broken their law, but remember he never broke God's law. And if you look in the text in chapter seven, in verse number 19, he speaks to them about how they have not kept the commandments. They have not kept the law. Jesus hasn't broken the law, but they've broken the law. Notice they're more angry with Jesus for breaking their law than they are upset and repetitive that they've broken God's law. And that was the major problem with these Jews. They looked and they judged people based on the laws that they made. They made for doctrines the commandments of men, and they had made all these laws that they could keep because they could not keep God's law and they were guilty, guilty before God uh, because by the law came the knowledge of sin. Uh, By the law came our understanding that we're all sinners, and by Jesus, grace and peace came. And notice how Jesus dealt with sinners. He was full of grace and full of truth. Uh, He he dealt with those sinners, but notice he spoke very, very uh, strongly to the religious, those that went about to establish their own righteousness. 
because he had to break down their righteousness before they could have an understanding that they could not be righteous except through Christ. And so there was, that's the reason why Jesus dealt so harshly with the Jews because they thought they were righteous in of themselves and Jesus had to break down all of that. And if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't know Christ and they think that they're righteous because of tradition or think, they think they're righteous because of religion, there's always this need for God to break up their faith in their religion before they can ever put their faith in Christ. And it seems a very difficult and, and very offensive thing sometimes to people when you challenge what they believe, especially when what they believe is not biblical. When you open up the word of God and you show them what they believe is not uh, God's word, it's not biblical, boy, that can be an affront. It can be an offense to people. People get very angry when you challenge what they believe, even if what they believe is wrong. Because everybody wants to think they believe what's right. But the truth is there's only one truth, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's not many roads that lead. There's only the way, and that's Jesus Christ. There's not many lives to attain. There is only one life, and that life is eternal through our Lord Jesus Christ. And everything else is death. Everything else uh, is going to bring death ultimately. All of our good works and righteousness, the Bible says, is his filthy rags. There's three groups that are shown in chapter number seven. Really, you can break up chapter seven by looking at the Feast of the Tabernacles. We see what happens before the feast. We see what happens during the feast. And we see what happens after the feast. And that's the timetable that he gives us in chapter 7. Also, we see Jesus dealing with three groups of people, and we'll look at those tonight. So number one, those who doubt Jesus. Those who doubt Jesus. Um, Doubters in Christ is not a new thing. Those that don't believe, that's not a new thing. Agnostics, that's not a new thing. Atheism, that's not a new thing. Uh, They would have us to believe that that's a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's very old. It's, it's, it's as old as, as religion is. It's as, it's as old as man is. Those who doubt Christ, those who doubt God, those who, who question uh, the Lord. And it's interesting because in the first 10 verses, we are introduced to a group of people who we would think would automatically be believers because he focuses on Christ's half-brothers. Now, I, I'm, I'm careful to say this because the Bible tells us that they were sons of of Mary and Joseph. They were not sons of Mary. Jesus was a son of Mary. Jesus was not a son of Mary and Joseph. These were sons of Joseph. Jesus was not a son of Joseph. Jesus was the son of God. And so uh, we need to be careful as we, we, we say that because some people say, well, Jesus had brothers. He had brothers, but they were half-brothers because they were sons of Mary and Joseph. And notice this, sons of Mary. Mary had other sons None of them were immaculately conceived. Mary had other sons. None of them, because they came from Mary, were saved. Uh, Mary had sons, but because they were born just like you and I were born, they were born in sin. They were born with that nature. They needed to be saved. If you notice in verse number five, what does it tell us about Jesus' own half-brothers? For neither did his brethren believe in him. I don't know about you, but that kind of is, 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 is amazing to me because these would have been the individuals that had watched Jesus up close, that had observed him, I don't know when they were born as, as in relation to Christ, but they were part of the family. They had seen Jesus up close personally, even as we see Jesus going back to Galilee. The Bible says walking not in Jewry, in a sense of he's going back home, he's spending time with family, he's about to go up to the Feast of the Tabernacles. 
Notice his brothers, they don't believe. While other people were listening, his brothers here are mocking. They're mocking him. They're challenging him. They're pushing him. Uh, How many have brothers that are like that? So we understand uh, a little bit, maybe some of the sense of what was going on here. And so uh, the brothers here, sometimes the most questioning or doubtful people that we encounter in our lives can be our family members, can't they? Even though that they're close to us, even though they're able to observe us, sometimes the hardest people to teach the truth of God's word as a Christian, even if we're living out the word of God, are our family members. They can be the greatest doubters uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, that was not different in Jesus' own family. So if you feel like, boy, I have lost brothers and sisters, so did Jesus. Jesus had the same position. He had the same. So put yourself, even the Savior was in a family like that. He, He was in a family of unbelievers, people who didn't believe, people who didn't even put faith and trust in him, even observing him. I mean, think about who Jesus was. Jesus never sinned, so he was a perfect child. Jesus never sinned, so he's a perfect teenager. How many wish that you had uh, him as your son? Uh, So, uh, you know, Jesus, he never went uh, through those things, as sinful things that you and I have experienced. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, in all points like as we are, yet without sin, And they observed a sinless Savior in their home, and yet they still had not believed in him. They still hadn't trusted. They doubted. Notice here, they question his actions. They question his actions. In uh, verse number 3 and 4, his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. You know what these guys are kind of doing? The brothers are observing Christ. You had a lot of followers and now they left you. So here's the time for the rebound. Here's the time to gain another following. Here's the time to make yourself known to the world. They're pushing him. Notice their words are very similar to the temptation that the devil gave Jesus in the wilderness. Here's the time. Go up on the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself off the temple, and let people see that even you can call the angels to catch you, that your foot wouldn't even... Let people see you do these these supernatural things. And listen, did not Jesus do miracles before people and yet they still didn't believe? Some only looked for the miracles and never looked for the Savior. And uh, we notice uh, they were doubting him. They questioned his actions. There's some people still today who doubt Jesus and question what he did. They question how he did it. They question all of those things. Not only do they question his actions, but they question his timing. In verse number six, then uh, Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this is not the time. This is not the time for this. You know, um, how easy is is it to follow tradition and miss truth? It's so much easier to follow the traditions of a religion and completely miss eternal truth. Some people do great at that. They love the following of tradition, but they miss all the truth of the Word of God. I mean, great at following the traditions, great at uh, keeping, if you would, uh, their uh, laws and the things that they'd like to do. The publicans and sinners were rejoicing at the message of Jesus, but his own half-brothers are making fun of him. You know, Jesus had already turned down the crowd's offer in John six fifteen to make him king, remember? They wanted to make him king. Jesus disappears. He, he, he goes off the scene. They want to, put, they want to make him king. Uh, if you remember at his transfiguration, Peter, let's make three 
let's, let's make three tabernacles, one to Moses, one to Elijah, one to Jesus. And boy, he thought he was really saying something great. And Jesus smashed him, smushed him, didn't he? He said, he said, what in the world? You're putting me on the same level as Moses and Elijah. I left heaven's throne. I don't need your tabernacle. Uh, Jesus was the son of God. Hear he him. That's what God, God's rebuke from heaven. Listen to what he has to say. Uh, he is the Lord. And, and uh, you know, he was not able to do what these people were asking him to do because it wasn't God's will. It wasn't the will of the Father. You know, celebrities might ride to success on the applause of the crowd, but God's servants know better. God's servants know better than this. By doing miracles during the feast at the official city, Jesus could muster a crowd. He could reveal himself as Messiah. He could ov- overcome the enemy. And notice this suggestion comes from the hearts of those who are not believing. This is the way they think it should be. This is the way they think God should work. This is the way they think God's timing should be. It wasn't God's plan uh, to reveal himself in this way. Why? Because Jesus still had to pay for the sins. Jesus still had to become the sacrifice. Jesus couldn't be their king until he became that suffering servant, uh, that atonement, that lamb that could take away the sins of the world. That had to be accomplished before Jesus could come back as king of kings and lord of lords. And that was God's timetable, and uh, they didn't get it. They questioned his actions. They questioned his timing. How many have ever heard someone that doubts Jesus question God's timing? You know, why does God do it this way? Why does he do it this way? Why is he? And always, always questioning his actions, questioning his timing. It's not for us to question God. It's for us to believe God, trust in God, know that his way is best. And when we believe, we're given understanding. It's not the other way around. We're not given understanding first, and then we believe. We believe, and then we're given understanding. God has always given his understanding to those who are willing to yield to him as their authority. And you have to yield to God. That's, that's the place that many people who are unbelievers can't get to or won't get to. They say, God, show me, and I'll believe. And God says, believe, and I'll show you. Trust me, believe, submit, yield to me, and I will show you. I will give you understanding. If you're trying to come to God and make a deal with him, God, if you'll just make yourself known, if you'll show me, if you'll show me. Listen, Jesus never made that deal with one individual here in the text. You believe and God will show you, not the other way around. It doesn't work that way or it's not faith. It's not faith. If you make that bargain with God, you're only believing because God, and by the way, you will continue with God that way the rest of your walk with him. You'll keep telling God what he needs to do in order for you to obey him. And then who's God? Who, who, who is Lord? Who, who is the Savior? That we, we reveal that we're not willing to let our will go to do his will. And we can't, we can't come to God that way. Uh, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And there's those that doubt God. They question his actions. They question his timing. Uh, lastly, they question his motives. Verses 7 through 10, you know, Jesus explains to him, that they don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. And by the way, uh, I can be honest tonight, I don't understand all of why God is doing why, what he's doing. How about you tonight? That's part of why I just trust him. He knows, he knows, he knows the end from the beginning. I don't understand. Anybody who could tell you that they could explain to you the mind of God, even when it comes to salvation, is being dishonest. Because you cannot, you cannot know uh, there's some things that we just don't know, we don't understand. One day we will know even as also we are known. But now we see through a glass darkly, don't we? 
We don't have a full of understanding of all these things, but that's where faith comes in, isn't it? But faith is not blind faith. It's the hope. It's the, it's the evidence of things hoped for. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We understand in faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we have to, we have to come to God in faith. We have to trust Him. They question His actions, His timing, His motives. So there's those who doubt Jesus, first 10 verses. Number two tonight, there are those who debate Jesus. There are those who debate Jesus. In verses 11 through 36, there's three groups that fight about him here. Before Jesus comes on the scene, if you look at verse number 11, the Bible says, then the Jews uh, sought him at the feast and said, where is he? They're not looking for Jesus because they're hoping that somehow that they're going to find Jesus and he's going to answer their questions so they're going to be able to, uh, they're looking to attack him. They're looking to catch him. They're looking to, notice how Jesus went up. The Bible says that he went up not openly under the feast, but he went, as it were, in secret. So we see his human responsibility as he goes. He's not going to stir the crowd. He's not going to gather a a, a following. He's not going to do some big miracle here at this festival where there's so many people that have come up to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus is not there to do that. And Jesus uh, gets there, and uh, they're seeking him. And notice, before he gets there, they're talking about him. Jesus is not there, and they're already talking about him. They're, they're, I mean, there's a discussion going on about who Jesus is. Notice not openly for fear of the Jews, but there's people there that are, that are talking about, the, uh, about him. There were three groups again. There was the Jewish leaders that were at Jerusalem, and they were discussing Jesus. There were the people who traveled to Jerusalem to observe the feast and the festival. So there was a lot of pilgrims. There was a lot of people traveling from, including Jesus' half-brothers. They traveled from Galilee. There were people from traveling all uh, throughout the land to come for this festival, for this Feast of the Tabernacles. And all these people are here. And Jesus' ministry, if you, if you remember, was very public, had gone far and wide. Jesus had been in many places, done many miracles. He had, he had gathered and spoke to thousands of people at a time, and, and Jesus was the topic of conversation. And so here, they're talking about Jesus. They're debating him. They're going back and forth over what they think. Notice what they say, verse number 12. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he's a good man. Others say, nay, but he deceived the people. Notice their debates, some saying he's good, some say he's bad. And by the way, can I say this tonight? In a debate about Jesus, there is no middle ground. Either Jesus is a lunatic and a liar, or he's the Savior. There's no middle ground because nobody goes around talking and saying, I'm God. No, nobody that's sane, uh, no, nobody that, that, you know, you don't go around and say, I'm God. Uh, a good person doesn't do that. So you can't say Jesus was a good person, but he wasn't God because good people don't walk around claiming to be God, do they? Uh, uh, he was either the Lord or he was a lunatic. He was either the Lord or he was a liar. And there's no middle ground with Jesus. And by the way, that's how it always worked. He always divided the crowd, didn't he? There was always, uh, when he got there, there were people, some said, no, 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 he's not who he says. He's a deceiver. And some said he was good. But the truth is, Jesus can't be a good man. He can only be God. Or he can be a liar. One of the two. So here's the truth tonight. No matter where you're at with Jesus in the debate over Jesus, No matter what people say they want to say about Jesus, 
no matter what other religions say about Jesus. By the way, we know what, who people are and who believers are by what they say about Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus told us? So you listen to somebody. If you want to know if someone's preaching truth, listen to what they say about Jesus. If they say Jesus is a good man, if they see Jesus was just, you know, if they say him ever to be lesser than God, they're lying. If they, if they imply that Jesus is not the Savior and the only Savior, again, it's not Jesus plus anything, it's just Jesus. And anybody that presents Jesus in another way other than that way, the Bible tells us that they're preaching another gospel and not to listen to what they have to say, to cast off that. And so you understand there's people here, they're debating the Jewish leaders, the people who traveled, the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. There's these people and they're debating. And number one tonight underneath this, they debated his character before he arrived. They debated his character. They're talking about him. Notice they say he's a good man. And some say he's a deceiver, verse number, 11, verse number 12. Notice verse 13, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the midst of the feast, and this is that breaking point. Remember we said before the feast, Jesus comes up during the feast, and they're talking about Jesus. They're debating his character. Here's the truth tonight. If you don't believe in someone's character, someone being honest, someone being truthful, you will never believe what they say. So here's the problem. These people, because they were debating the character of Christ, they didn't believe he was a good man. They believed he was a deceiver, some of them. They would never believe what he said because you don't believe someone you think is a liar, right? I mean, that makes sense logically. If if you're debating his character, then you don't believe his doctrine. And by the way, that's how uh, we get to that second point. They debated his character. Number two, they debated his doctrine. Verse number 14, notice what happens. Jesus, in the midst of the feast, in the middle of the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus goes in secretly, but all of a sudden, Jesus goes up into the temple and he begins to teach. So Jesus is now teaching openly. He shows himself. He begins to go into the, he goes into the temple. He stands up and he begins to teach and preach in the temple. And uh, what they begin, notice what they did after, verse number 15, and the Jews marveled because they always marveled when Jesus talked. They didn't know what to do with what he said. Notice they, they marveled, and notice they, they said, he knoweth, how, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned? They look, notice how they looked at Jesus. This is Mary and Joseph's son, son of a carpenter from Galilee, no prophet out of Galilee, no prophet out of Bethlehem, no prophet, by the way, uh, wrong, Jonah from that area. So we understand Jonah came up, and notice Jesus even likened himself as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three as the prophet likened, he, he typified himself in the belly. So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And so we notice they were wrong, even in their own belief about no prophet coming from that area. Not only was there a prophet that had come in the Old Testament from that area, but there were prophecies about Jesus coming from there. So they were missing Isaiah's prophecy about where Messiah, about where Jesus the Savior would come from. They missed it all. And so they're missing the point. They're divided uh, here. They're debating uh, his doctrine. Notice verse number 16, Jesus answered them and said, how do we know he's debating the doctrine? Look at it. Look at the scriptures. My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, 
and no unrighteousness is in him. So Jesus is saying this. Before, if you remember, Jesus said, my words are are God's words, they're the same. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. He said in chapter 6, you got manna in the wilderness, I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the bread that's sent down from heaven. I am the bread of life. He that eats the bread, he that receives it, he that takes the bread, receives the bread, is given eternal life. Notice he is now putting himself on the same level. He's saying, my doctrine is God's doctrine. My doctrine comes from God. I come from above. Notice they were saying, no, you're from Galilee. No, you're from Mary and Joseph. And he said, no, 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 I'm before them. I'm before them. I'm before I was born. And listen, that's where they they took up stones to stone him before. That's where they struggled because Jesus wasn't just claiming to be a good prophet. Jesus wasn't just claiming to be a good person. Jesus over and over again was saying, even here in the text, I'm God. I am God. My doctrine is God's doctrine. God's doctrine is my doctrine. I'm speaking Why you're marveling, why, why you're scratching your head saying, how can he say these things? He's not learned. He's not educated. Remember Jesus went into the temple before as a young boy. When he was in the temple as a young boy, uneducated as a young boy, only educated at the carpenter's bench, if you would, not educated in the big schools of the day, not educated uh, at at the seat of those Pharisees, not educated uh, the way the scribes and the Pharisees were educated. Notice when Jesus spoke in the temple as a 12-year-old boy, they marveled. They, They scratched their heads. Where in the world is this coming from? Where did he get this from? Jesus, when he spake, boy, people just, they didn't know what to do. They're, they're thinking, this can't be true. This can't, this, is, this can't just be coming from him. Notice verse number 20, the people answered and said, thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. Because Jesus said, hey, why do you go about to kill me? You know what these pilgrims, and this is where we identify the, the people who he's talking to, these pilgrims said, who wants to kill you, Jesus? Who wants to kill you? Jesus knew who was there to kill him, didn't he? Boy, the Pharisees tells us there, they wanted to destroy him. They wanted to kill him. Those Jews, those Jewish leaders, by the way, they were already setting up the false witnesses. They were already garnering, if you would. They were already lining the pockets of the Roman officials. They were already readying them for these mock trials uh, where they would set Jesus up. They were paving the way. They were preparing the way for what they thought was going to be the destruction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what ends up being the salvation of the world the Lord Jesus Christ, when he dies on the cross. See, they thought they were doing something else, but clearly, thy will be done, right? His his will is done. God's will is done. So Jesus is there, and he's he's talking uh, with them. They're in the debate. They're they're debating over who he is, the the, the three groups that are there, and uh, we see those that would debate. Number three tonight, uh, and we'll be done. Those who are divided over Jesus. We see those who doubt. We see those who debate. And then we see those who are divided, those who are struggling with the decision. This is at the end of the feast. In verse number 37, we see this long debate uh, between the three groups in the chapter. In verse number 37, the Bible tells us, in the last day, that great day of the feast. So it's the last day of the feast of the tabernacles. In In that last day of the feast, notice Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst." Let him come unto me and drink. Notice the invitation that Jesus is giving. If anybody's thirsty, let him come and drink. 
If anybody, if anybody, if anybody would come, if you would come, you're welcome. Anybody's welcome to come. Come and drink. Notice what he says. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Notice how, why he spake, he spoke prophetically, verse 39, but this he spake of the spirit which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. When Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit would be given. And only in that time, we understand that now looking back, notice as we look at the text, at the time of the writing, he's, John is saying the Holy Spirit has not yet, was not yet, had not yet been given. It was not at that time Jesus was speaking prophetically over the Holy Spirit that would come when Christ was glorified. Remember, Jesus died. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to the Father. He atoned for the sins, sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, returned. Remember, he said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my Father. When he came back, he appeared to above 500 at a time. He appeared to the disciples, remember Thomas, uh, my Lord and my God. He, he appeared to a few. He appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us, by the way? Uh, they, they said, how did we not know this was Jesus? By how he talked, our hearts were burning. And uh, they're, 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 they're talking about Jesus. He came back in his glorified state. And then he ascends, giving the great commission. And after he ascends, we see the disciples in the upper room, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, what happens? They go out, they begin to preach, the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, the Holy Spirit fills the believers that are presently there, and then all those that receive. And as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Notice he said, receive and believe, and I'll give you the power to become. Uh, That's what he does, and he gives us the Holy Spirit of God. And ye hath he quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now we become alive with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, he made us body, soul, and spirit. When Adam and Adam all die, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But in Christ shall all be made alive, and you hath he quickened. That which is dead is made alive. Uh, All those, Adam was made in the image of likeness of God. Romans tells us that all those born after Adam were made in the image of Adam under sin, under the law. And so we have a problem because we're born in sin. We're born with that sin nature. We're born under the law. But all those that come in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have now been once again been made in the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, body, soul, and spirit. Spirit, we're able to now commune with God, communicate with God, come boldly before the throne of grace. We now, he that was made sin for us, who knew no sin, now we've been made what? The righteousness of God and through, through him, we've been clothed in his righteousness. Now as Christians, to exercise the forgiveness that we have received through the Lord Jesus Christ, when we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We exercise the liberty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Has he not made us free? And uh, we've been free indeed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice there were people who were divided over who Jesus was. Look at verse uh, number 42. Hath not the Scripture... Notice, uh, we'll, we'll back up. Verse number 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, 
This is the what? Prophet. This is the prophet. Who is the prophet? John. John the Baptist was the prophet. John the Baptist was the preparer for the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was the one who identified Jesus. Behold, Jesus said, none on the earth, no prophet greater than John. Why? Because John, John in present day, was identifying the Messiah. John had that job. John points to Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. John, are you upset because your followers, your disciples are following Jesus? No, no, no. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the groom. I'm the best man at the wedding. My job is to push uh, the, the bride to the groom, not to take the bride to myself. John the Baptist, no, I'm not upset. He must increase. I must decrease. He's the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. Jesus loved the church. He gave himself for it. I go to prepare a place. Isn't he the bridegroom preparing a place for the bride that I will come again, receive you just like a groom would a bride, receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. He's preparing a place for us. The church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the prophet. They identify him as a prophet. He's not the prophet. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Notice they're saying, some of them say he's a prophet. Of a truth, this is the prophet. Others, verse number 41, notice the division. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Notice the division here. Some say this is a prophet. Some say he's the Christ. Remember Jesus asked this question to the disciples. Who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say he's a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Re, you, you, you come back. You're alive. Some, some say you're a good teacher. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You that are following me, you that are with me, you that I've called, my apostles, who do you say that I am? Notice, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. A flesh and blood is not revealed uh, this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed this unto you. Notice he's saying, Peter's saying, you're the Christ. You're the son. And we believe. We believe. He said, we know this to be the truth. Notice they're questioning. This is the Christ. Some said, shall Christ come out of the Galilee? Verse 42, hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Notice Jesus came out of the town of Bethlehem, didn't he? But they're saying Jesus of Galilee. uh, He's from Galilee. They're missing. They missed his birth. Didn't they miss his birth? I mean, at his birth, who's at the birth? Shepherds. I, I mean, common, commonplace. Uh, you know, everybody missed the birth, except for, the, except for those people, those common people. They came, they, they acknowledged, hey, here he is, angels in the pastures to the shepherds. Boy, they're declaring him. They're showing him. You say, well, could other people have known? Clearly, they could have. Wise men from the east, they saw the star. Was the star only shown to the wise men? The star is in the sky. I mean, the star is in the sky. Could other people see the star? Herod, he saw, Herod, Herod an unbelievable, wicked man, he sees the star. What, what's the star for? What, what, why this star? The Jews, they didn't inquire what the star was. They, they didn't pull the scrolls. They didn't look at the prophecy. You can't tell me. I mean, what? It's in the word. They're, they're studying. And listen, what I believe as you look towards the end of this, old Nicodemus shows up, doesn't he? 
Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. We know that there are teachers sent from God, for no man doeth these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Drawn to Jesus by the miracles, drawn to Jesus inquisitively at night to ask questions. And notice he's drawn to Jesus, asking questions, asking questions. Jesus gives him that great discourse where we get John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth, he says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Notice there's a division, verse 43, among the people because of him. Jesus divides people. He does. You say Jesus, you're going to divide people. You say God, people interpret that to mean a lot of different things today. But when you start, oh, you're one of those Jesus people. You're one of those Jesus people. Oh, you say Jesus, you're going to divide people. People that, and by, and by the way, even today, as we understand the deceiver, the liar, there's people that say Jesus, and they don't mean this Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. And, uh, you know, we understand if any man comes preaching another Christ, another Jesus, from such turn away, don't listen uh, to what they had to say. Notice there was a division among them, and some of them would have taken him. What does that mean? They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to arrest him. Remember, they tried to push him off the cliff. They took up stones to stone him. Some people, notice, some despised him. Those who were divided, verse 43 to 45, some despised him. Notice verse number 46, some defended him. The officers, some said he was Christ in verse number 42. Some said he was Christ, verse 41. Some defended him, verse 46. The officers answered, never man spake like this man. Never heard a man speak like this. Never heard anybody talk like this. Listen, some of those guys heard John the Baptist preach. And John the Baptist, Jesus by his own words, greatest preacher, greatest prophet, greatest, greatest preacher. Some of these men heard John the Baptist and they said, nobody's ever talked like this. Nobody's ever said, because nobody had ever claimed to be God. And here he was on the scene, fulfilling all the prophecies, fulfilling all the law, doing everything the Bible said he would do, coming from the place where he said, but notice they, they, they couldn't get their minds wrapped. This is the son of Mary and Joseph. He's from Galilee. And they didn't get it. They missed it. By Mary's own testimony, he was not Joseph's son. He was, that which was in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. She knew that. She testified of that. She said that. There's, there's nobody like Jesus. They, they, some defended him because of what he said. Notice, some discovered him. Some discovered him. Notice in verse number 48, verse 47, then answered them, the Pharisees, are you also deceived? Notice the Pharisees, you're being deceived. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? Notice what they said. Have the Jewish leaders believed on Jesus? If the Jewish leaders haven't believed on Jesus, then he can't be the Christ. If the leadership of the traditional religion that is here rejects him, then you all must reject him. Boy, uh, many religious rulers have given edicts when it comes to Christ and faith in Christ and tried to force down people's throat faith or what they believe. And they come up with their own doctrines. By the way, if any man, cults are formed when a man comes up with a doctrine that divides the church, divides the people of God, comes up with a doctrine that's, that, by the way, that's, that's attributed to him. He came up with the doctrine uh, can, I, can I tell you this tonight? Anybody who preaches the word of God can't take credit for the content. How can we take credit for the content? 
The content is not my own tonight. This is not, preaching is not plagiarism. Preaching is saying what God's Word says. That's what preaching is supposed to, what God's Word says, saying what His Word says, applying, not for private interpretation. It's, it's not for us to say. It's saying what God's Word says. We are not credited for the content. We're just carriers of the message. The content is credited to Christ. It's His Word. It's, he's the one that gets the credit. When someone tries to take credit for a doctrine and they divide the church, we know, we know where the error is. We, we understand that. Oh, I've got a new doctrine. I've got a new belief. I want to introduce this to the people, divide the church. Who's a deceiver? Who's a divider? The devil. Does he use good men to do it? He uses anybody who will listen to him. He uses anybody who will do what he wants. He, he's seeking to kill, to steal. What's he seeking to steal? Jesus, when he presents the devil as being a thief, he presents him the great discourse over him being the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He, he keeps them in the fold. When the 99 are safe and there's one that's lost, doesn't a good shepherd go after him? How do sheep get lost? Well, sometimes they're deceived. Sometimes they go astray. Sometimes they uh, are in the fold. But he goes after them, doesn't he? He's a good, he's a protector. Don't you think that Satan, Lucifer, would, would love to lead even believers astray today? Keep us from the truth, the doctrine of God's word, to be led astray aside from doctrines that divide the church of God, to keep us from having the unity uh, as, as we have in the word of God, through the Holy Spirit of God, preaching the gospel in this world, making a difference. You notice the devil's craftiness in dividing the church of the living God in this world today. He wants to tribalize the church, get us all in our little segments and sects and groups and and so that we are so, we are so different from one another as Christians that we cannot even get along with ourselves, our own brothers and sisters in Christ who we'll spend eternity with. We divide ourselves. We fight among, amongst ourselves. And God's word says, lay it aside. Lay aside all malice. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Don't we understand that all of us of the household of faith are, are living in this world imperfectly under God's grace. None of us here tonight are perfect. All of us come from varying degrees of backgrounds, and we all have different opinions tonight, but we didn't come here tonight for your preference nor mine. We didn't come here tonight for my opinion or yours. We came here for what the Word of God says. Let God's Word be true and every man a liar. And the, tr- the truth is, is the church of God will have unity once again when we just believe God's Word and obey God's Word. And by the way, the truth is, the test of whether or not you believe it is whether or not you're obeying it. Because you don't believe something that you're not obeying. It's the truth. Jesus always said that the test of belief is obedience. It's the measure of it. It's what shows, it's what reveals to us whether or not we truly uh, believe something or not. Some defended him, some discovered him. Notice Verse 49, but this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Verse 50, Nicodemus, all of a sudden, Nicodemus, where's he coming from? He's a ruler of the Jews. The leadership, here's the Jews, Nicodemus is among him. He's a ruler, he's a leader of the Jews. Nicodemus saith unto them, notice, I love how the Bible just makes sure that we know which Nicodemus. Like there's a whole lot that we read about. But notice, I love the little excerpt, even the parentheses in the scripture. Holy Spirit's like, in case you didn't know, let me, let me clarify to you. He that came to Jesus by night being one of them. 
So here it is. It's Nicodemus. Doth our law, notice how he speaks, doth our law judge any man before to hear him and know what he doeth? Notice his defense of Christ. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night sneakily. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to know that I'm with Jesus. This is the first time we see Nicodemus in the crowd standing up and saying, hey, listen, even in our own law, is a man guilty before he's given a, 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 a trial? Is he guilty before he's tried justly? Before we, listen, was Jesus tried? Was he found guilty? He wasn't found guilty by the Jews, except for they falsely accused him. They could find no law that he broke. They falsely accused him. They couldn't find anything they broke. he broke. They could not try him in the Jewish court justly and condemn him to death. They didn't have the rights in the Roman law to condemn any man to death. They could punish him. They could scourge him. Notice they submit him to the Romans, to the Romans, Pilate, Annas, Caiaphas, that hodgepodge of a high priest where there's only supposed to be one, but there happen to be two because they're not even obeying their own laws and traditions. And now uh, Pilate stands before, what does Pilate do? Find no fault in this man. There's no law that could condemn Jesus to death. Pilate had to give in to the crowd who shouted crucify. Pilate's fear of Caesar removing him or punishing him for the unrest in Jerusalem because it was his job to keep the peace in the land that they were occupying. Those Jews hated the Romans. They paid tribute to them. They didn't want to pay the taxes. Even asked Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's and to God, that which is God's. Notice Jesus didn't even break the law of the day. Jesus, uh, he's there. They couldn't try him. Does our law, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Verse 52, and they answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Are you with him? Are you from the, are you are you from this place? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. Notice how divided they were, and every man went unto his own house. Couldn't even agree. They all went away. Uh, divided, they were separated. And Jesus, verse, chapter 8, verse number 1, we'll pick it up next week, he goes to the Mount of Olives. So we understand here, hey, listen, there's people in the crowds even today. It's not much unlike today, is it? There's people that doubt Jesus. There's people that debate Jesus. And there's people that are divided over Jesus. But can we all agree tonight the Bible is clear, crystal clear, about who Jesus is? Uh, the great logic and the lawyer that we see in Paul as he presents in the book of Romans Jesus to be who he is. We understand. Hey, listen, logic says it. The Bible says it. Prophecy says it. History says it. It all says it. And anybody who doesn't want to believe it, they reject the truth. And they say, I will not believe. Listen, to you tonight who perhaps are on the fence and maybe divided, maybe religion has divided you, maybe you grew up in a different faith and a different religion, and for you it would mean ostracism from family or perhaps it would mean pressure from others if you were to walk away from something that you've been taught traditionally. Listen, don't you understand the pressure the Jews were under? Nicodemus was under that pressure, wasn't he? You're going to walk away from your faith and heritage. You're going to walk away from your family, how you were born, what you were taught. You're going to walk away from that to come to Jesus. Notice the disciples had to walk away from it. Every Christian believer in Acts chapter 2 had to walk away from it. And you're going to have to be willing to walk away and believe 
Take God at his word and trust him. You say, well, I'm just waiting for God to give me understanding. He's given you all that you need in his word. And all that you need to do is believe his word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you're on the fence about Jesus, about being born again, about salvation, hey, listen, believe. God will give you the understanding. He promises to do it. The first step is just believe. And by the way, do what he says. Do what he says. And doing what he says, hey, listen, eternal life is yours. Come. If you're thirsty, come. If you want it, come. If you are seeking, come. Don't wait another day, come. And Christians, boy, I hope that we're living out in unity as God's church, according to the scriptures, not divided, not debatable. You know, sometimes we make Christ debatable to the lost because of how we live out Christ in front of the world. The world looks at us and they say, well, you really believe, but you're not being obedient. Doesn't the world test us? Don't they look at us and say, well, if, you, if you're the picture, if you're the picture of Christ, is the world getting a, an accurate picture of who Christ is by the, by the life that you're living? If any man be in a Christ, he's a what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You say, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. No, no, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. But as a Christian, should we that are dead to sin live, live any longer therein? Should we be, should sin reign in this mortal body? God forbid those things. God tells us, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. Why? So that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Who are we proving it to? That we may be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. Hey, we've got to have the answer. If the church of the living God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he's purchased with his own blood, does not have the answer to the lost world who's looking, who does? Boy, we understand how the deceiver and lie. Boy, he busies us, he distracts us. The devil's a liar tonight. He still wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Boy, he can't have your soul if you're saved, but he'd love to make your life of no effect in this world. God's left us here to be salt and light. He says, if the salt's lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Hey, how in the world is the, what needs to be seasoned this world be salted if we've lost our savor? If we hide our light under the bushel, how will they see? How will they understand? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And by the way, can I say this uh, to us as a church? Let's not get distracted on little sideline issues like we do, where we fight amongst ourselves and other Christians over sideline issues. If God's led you to do something, glorify God in what he's led you to do. But don't expect every other Christian to do everything the way that you do them. When it comes to sin and obedience to God, we understand we've got to all as God's church do that. But how many of us know that he's progressively sanctifying his church? And, you know, some people are not ready for what you're throwing down their throat. And they need Jesus, and they need to receive things from the Holy Spirit of God. And we've got to be patient as God's church with people. And we've got to love them. We've got to be kind one to another, tenderhearted. Hey, as much grace given to someone else has been given to us. Let's be gracious to people. I believe if we're full of Jesus, we'll be full of what Jesus was full of, grace and truth. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. 
Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.